cool down a little bit. And we'll all say, got it there. Uh, and I'll go ahead. I'd like to welcome everybody back to Alabama Care. We have Mrs. Francine Allen, the ADMH Director of Support Coordination, Jonna Breland, Community of Practice Co-Facilitator, and Joanne Bennett, Mental Health Specialist in Region 2 and Community of Practice Co-Facilitator, as, as well as Mr. Daryl Powell, Executive Director of the Alabama Council of Developmental Disabilities. And today we're going to be talking about Community of Practice and the Alabama Family Advisory Network. At this point, I'd like to hand it back over. Mrs. Allen, would you introduce yourself? Yes, good morning, everybody. I am Francilla Allen, and as Alex shared, I'm the Director of Support Coordination here with Alabama Department of Mental Health. Our responsibilities are to ensure that support coordinators, formerly known as case managers throughout the state of Alabama with the Division of Developmental Disabilities have the appropriate resources, policies, procedures to help support our individuals who have intellectual or developmental disabilities. And how long have you been with the department, if you don't mind me asking? I've been with the department since 2018, October of 2018, and in this particular position since September of 2019. Well, congratulations. We always like to ask, um, are you originally from Alabama? I am. I'm from the Mobile area, a small town north of Mobile called Citronelle, Alabama. And um, I was educated here in Alabama, graduated from UAB with both my bachelor's degree and my master's from Jacksonville State University. Now, if you have to say, is it Roll Tide, War Eagle, or Go Jags, or Go Blazers? Roll Tide and Go Blazers. <laughs> uh, Mrs. Jonna Breland, if you would introduce yourself. Certainly. Um, hello, my name is Jonna Breland, and I'm the co-facilitator for the Community of Practice. I'm also a parent of 13 children, 12 of whom have differing abilities. Um, I also chair the Alabama Council on Developmental Disabilities, and I'm the state president for the ARC of Alabama. So I've been involved for quite a number of years. Um, and are you originally from Alabama? Uh, my parents are. I was actually born in Durham, North Carolina, but we moved back to Alabama when I was about eight years old. And then if we're talking about schools, I went to the University of South Carolina. So go Gamecocks. Okay. I think that's our first uh, Gamecocks on here. Okay. So, um, and Mrs. Joanne Bennett, if you would introduce yourself. I'm Joanne Bennett. I'm a mental health specialist with Alabama Department of Mental Health. I graduated from Troy State University and I don't have a special team, so just go Alabama. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Clifton, uh, who's behind the scenes today, also graduated from Troy. And I keep hearing Troy pop up more and more. I've never been to Troy yet, uh, so it's on my bucket list to kind of see the campus down there. Right. And Mr. Daryl Powell, if you would introduce yourself. All right. Thank you, Alex. Um, I'm Daryl Powell, I'm the executive director for the Council on Development Disability. Um, born and raised in Tuskegee, Alabama, graduated from Tuskegee University. Went on to Troy to get my master's in counseling and uh, been a part of the council since um, 2019, um, going on, well, going on my third year now. So um, if I had to say, I would say 
Tuskegee University, Golden Tigers, Army University, War Eagles. So. <laughs> Very cool. And um, for anyone that's unfamiliar, Mr. Powell, as you mentioned, is executive director of ACDD and Alabama Care is funded through ACDD. So the streams that you guys are watching, the Facebook page that you guys, this is all made possible by ACDD. And they have innovative grants and different types of grant opportunities that come out every year. So definitely check out their webpage, acdd.org, uh, to keep updated on that. Okay, so we're going to be talking about community of practice. I'd like to kick it off with what is the community of practice? Well, the community of practice is, is actually a way to support individuals and their families. It's also a mindset of how to go about supporting individuals and their families. And that can be through formal services like waivers, uh, but it also really encompasses thinking about your community as a whole. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that community practice really delves uh, into when we started going through this process was that nationwide and certainly here in the state of Alabama, that there's about 75% of individuals with developmental disabilities that receive no formal services whatsoever, none. And the 25% that do receive services don't necessarily receive all the services they would like to have. And we know there's never going to be enough money no matter how you look at it that's going to be able to support 100% of the people with everything they need. So community of practice was born thinking, what can we do to look in within our own communities at just natural resources that are out there? And like I said, that can be formal supports such as the waivers that we're gonna discuss later this morning, but it can also be informal supports, whether it be your church, whether it be your neighbors, whether it be Special Olympics, whether it be um, just, just natural supports that are out there. And we'll, and we'll actually have some um, stories that we'll be telling a little bit later about some of those natural supports. So like I said, it's, it's a way to support families, but it's also a mindset of how to support these families and individuals. Mm. And I think that, that mindset that you're talking about is so crucial because it kind of puts um, the ability. So instead of waiting around for a waiver or formal supports, it puts the ability to make change back on the family and say, yes, I can do this and kind of give confidence there that it's not always just relying on somebody else, but yes, let's, let's really take hold of this and start at a grassroots level with our neighbor, um, exactly. with our local community uh, and take hold of that. And it's kind of like when you start working on something, um, other things start to come in in your life and the universe just conspires. Uh, so don't wait around, start making that change today. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and what is the Alabama Family Advisory Network? Well, Alex, the Alabama Family Advisory Network actually um, grew out of the community of practice. So what we noticed here in Alabama is that we wanted to create a family advisory council where the families could share information with the Alabama Department of Mental Health about what are some resources that they are seeing lacking within the community, what are things that they need. And then we could also share with them information about new um, resources, waivers that are being rolled out from Alabama Department of Mental Health DDD division. And also one of the other things just talking about as we're walking through life um, is that so many times families, parents really think about um, resources for their family or their children 
later in life will as they're getting older they want to make sure they have support but we wanted to make sure that we walk into this presence where we're helping families from the beginning when their child is a child an adolescent and as they're moving through graduating from high school and becoming more independent helping families to have the ideas and looking at what are some other resources and ways that their family member can become independent and not wait until they become an adult but really working and training so we have regional directors or regional um, facilitators who are trying to get this information out to the community as well as share information from the community with the department. Yeah, and that transition age that you just spoke about is so crucial. Um, that kind of hits people um, a little bit late, and then it's it's an emergency at that point. So to reach those individuals and families at a, at a younger age and say, hey, you know, when the education system stops at 21 or 19, there's gonna be a significant change and you need to be prepared for that. Um, and if I understand correctly, so the Alabama Family Advisory Network kind of grew out of the community of practice and um, it is a great way for families um, and individuals to have direct communication with uh, the Department of Mental Health uh, and those policymakers to help give insight um, to them and say, hey, this is what we really need on the ground, uh, on the front line. Exactly. That's exactly the purpose of our um, Alabama Family Advisory Network. And we thought AFAN was such a purple thing because it's, we are fans of our family members who are Alabamians. And so we want to support them. Yeah. Now, when was the regional network established? So the regional, regional network was established uh, right when we started. We uh, wanted each... Um, each region to have their own facilitator to, so that they can go in and um, have their, you know, speak about what they need in their region because each region may need something else. Uh, the regional network was developed to increase families and agencies' knowledge about resources throughout the state of Alabama. So we have state facilitators and each state facilitator take a region which make them also the regional facilitators. The families attend the meetings and whatever information they need or, or resources, then we bring it back to the state meeting and discuss how can we help the families. Um, so it's taking the, the organization and the front line um, and kind of spreading that out throughout the state so that, you know, individuals and families aren't all calling down to Montgomery, but you can go to your local okay. regional here. They'll have a lot of the information and help pass along information on your behalf, just opening up the communication channels to be more readily available. Correct. And, th and those meetings are so important because families can come together, not only families, but providers and stakeholders can attend those meetings. Mm. Um, I'd like to acknowledge chat here. Karen Watkins-Smith says yes to Tuskegee University, class of 89. Go Tigers. <laughs> are there no Gamecocks out there? <laughs> It's tough here in, uh, you know, football. People don't like out-of-state football. <laughs> um, so how often uh, are these are these meetings? Are, are individuals and families meeting? Well, I guess I'll answer that. Um, okay. With the, with the regional meetings, we, we really, um, the goal is for our regional meetings to occur at least once a month. And of course, our statewide meeting uh, meetings are every other month. And, and within our regional meetings, we, we, we invite those people within our regions, stakeholders, whether it be stakeholders, family members, um, 
individuals, self-advocates. Um, so those are occurring um, at least once a month and mm -hmm. various topics, we bring different speakers in to present about what resources are available in those particular regions. So that's the goal to get the information out and, and we try to at least meet once a month and then we work with each other. So although we may be in region one, you know, region, we need to be in region two's meeting, we would be in region two meeting. So um, we pretty much meet once a month in regions and every other month. State now, um, they currently, are these meetings online or are they in person? Typically, they have been online. Um, and of course, you know, pandemic has caused us to do things a little bit different. So we had to adapt and because um, the services has to continue. People need services. We need to continue to work, um, continue to provide the service. So we had to shift gears along with the pandemic. So um, we meet um, virtually and hopefully we'll be getting back to face-to-face -face at some point, but right now we typically meet virtually. That's what I was just going to follow up on is, uh, you know, as we try and come out of this pandemic, uh, the COVID pandemic, are we going to get more in-person things? Because I really enjoy in-person. You know, I'll take the virtual as we're doing now because it's really important to have this information and share it. But if I have the opportunity, I will almost always go in, in person. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that sometimes at the school level with some of our students, our kids that are in school and the difference in education they're getting versus, you know, virtual versus in person. But that's that's a whole other thing. I can throw off and, on. and one thing, Alex, um, you know, I try to pick out the positive things. And, and really, um, when we do face to face, some people may be limited with transportation or, you know, ability to travel, which, you know, we may talk about a little bit about that later. But um one of the things that virtual, the positive aspects of the virtual is that we're able to meet um, many, many people across the state, you know, across the U.S. So you don't necessarily have to be in Montgomery to attend a meeting. So that's that's one of the positive aspects of the virtual meeting. So um, very I'll well put. The positive side. Yeah, and, I, I appreciate and Alex, that. we have we have two of our regional and also our state facilitators, which is Jonna and Daryl. So we appreciate them. Uh, and I'm also a facilitator. So, but I don't have to have a region. I'm part of region four. And that's interesting what Daryl said, because we try to bring very good information, very good resources to parents, to people that need that services. And um, so I like to say that you do not have to be on the waiver to receive resource services. You do not have to uh, be a person with a disability. We will be helping anyone that need those resources to assist persons with intellectual disability or developmental disability. It's very exciting to me. So I just love to hear information about it, Alex. So if I get a little talkative, just, just put your finger. No, I'm, I'm all ears. <laughs> um, so we're talking about, you know, excited here. Now, how can individuals and families get involved? Individuals and families can get involved with the uh, AFAN is by you can connect with the Alabama Department of Mental Health, ACC, ACDD, or from family to family conversations. I'm part of some of the committees that my son, he has Down syndrome, Keith Bennett, he's 38 years old. And when he attends some of his meetings, I take information concerning the community of practice in AFAN for Alabama. A lot of people do not know what it is, what, what, it, what it does, how can it assist me? We, we assist with resources, Alex. We connect with other agencies. And then we tell that them, if that's not what you need, then that, re that agency normally has resources themselves. We connect together as agencies, as entities uh, in the community. 
Uh, and I would like to tell a story once, once we get to that concerning my son is very excited. If you have a person with an intellectual disability, it's not downhearted, they wanna be part of inclusion. And most of the time, parents are the biggest advocate. So okay. let's include and, and one thing, Joanne, also, and Alex, um, you know, just the, the, the networking, the word of mouth, um, because we really, um, people look at, you, you know, each other, talk to each other, we communicate. So one of the things that I've been thinking about in regards to our next state meeting was getting daycares involved. Um, I've talked to a few daycare owners, um, Department of Human Resource um, personnel, um, uh, nursing home, nursing facilities, just getting that word out, because that's, when you talk about the rubber meeting the road, people are in the community. Daycares are connected to family members, individuals, and some of these individuals may not even have a clue about what we do, you know, what we are. So daycares, nursing homes, um, and of course the nursing homes should be familiar, a lot of the nursing homes, but some of them are not. And then you right. have new individuals that go into the nursing home. So just getting these in individuals involved with our um, community practice and our Alabama Family Advisory Network. Yeah. And I think I think talking about what Daryl just said, we, we haven't really said this, we've, we've alluded to it, but the community of practice, it is literally from cradle to grave. This mm -hmm. is for a certain age group. This You don't even necessarily, as Joanne mentioned, you do not necessarily even have to have a developmental disability uh, to be a part of this group. If you have someone in your community that you would just like to support, um, you are welcome to be a part of this because we're just looking at resources, like I said, literally from cradle to grave. Yeah. yeah. And the key word to that is all, you know, no one is excluded. So regardless of what ability or disability that someone is living with, you know, it, it's, it's all. So when you think about all, that means what it means, all. Right. Um, and I really love how these are ongoing meetings. So every month these meetings are taking place because sometimes I hear that there's, there's great information out there, but it's hard to navigate and you're not quite sure if that's what you're looking for. So to kind of get that information, go and test that solution out, but then come back the next month and say, hey, it kind of works. Some of the things work, but I need some of these other things. And to come back together as a group and as a support network and say, okay, we're going to try this thing next. So to have that continued support, I think, is really important uh, when navigating all the information and organizations that are out there. Um, so thank you for doing that. Now, uh, this goes along with a, um, a question that we have here is, how are you getting the community of practice info out? And Janie Gable Curtis says, how can we receive the schedule for these meetings? One of the ways uh, you can, you can look on, um, we get information out. You can look on the uh, Facebook page. Uh, we, we plan on putting those meetings there even more. Your regional directors, uh, they're the ones, they're, I mean, the regional facilitators, excuse me, they're the ones that I will connect you to. If you call the Alabama Department of Mental Health waiver, 1-800-361-4491, I will give you information concerning to, uh, the AFAN, the Community of Practice AFAN. Uh, and I will connect you with your regional uh, facilitator. I will also send you out brochure and information concerning the um, community of practice. If now you would tell me that number again, I'm going to write it down and I'm going to respond in the chat to that individual. It's 1-800-361-4491. And that will get you 4491. And that will get you to the uh, call center for the Alabama Department of Mental Health. And once I get that, we will receive information. Our reps will 
take information concerning the waiver if you would like to be on the waiver. And after we do that, we will send you out brochures and we will send you out folders. And this has very, a, quite a few uh, information and resources. If you can see it, and I'm sorry to put it up before my face, and you will see information on the back. And that is resources in the state of Alabama to help families connect. I mean, from barber shops to fire, fire stations, if you need some information for persons with disability. So please uh, go ahead and connect with us. We'll be glad to have you on our meetings to introduce you to your regional facilitator and the state facilitators. So that I've seen again, that pamphlet before. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. We're working on it. <laughs> and and so also, thank Joanne, um, thank you. Also, Joanne, on that piece, you, you really you, you're looking at different regions. So something mm -hmm. some there may be resources in region one that may not be in region two. So that's why it's important for us to connect with our region. So that way we'll know what is available, the resources that we have in each region. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, we have another question in chat here, and I'm going to try and acknowledge these on behalf of the audience. Uh, Karen Watkins-Smith says, do you assist families that have foster children that fall into this category? Uh, we will try to assist anyone we can. Um, obviously, fostering and adopting is close to my heart since that's what we've done our entire married life. Um, and, and I feel very strongly, and it sounds like this person maybe has some experience. We've often talked about that folks with developmental disabilities, when it comes time to be heard or to get services, unfortunately, sometimes they're kind of at the bottom of the list. Uh, if you happen to be a child in the foster care system or a family that's dealing with children within the foster care system, whether it's foster families or biological families, sometimes those children don't even those children don't even make it on the list. So um, I, I appreciate the fact that she's asking that question. And absolutely, if there's any way that we can help, whether it's just, again, giving resources for that particular area or even maybe talking to departments of human resources to let them know that there are some resources. We have a lot of wonderful uh, caseworkers throughout the state of Alabama in the Department of Human Resources, but just like any other department, they tend to know more about their area of expertise and they may not be as familiar with resources that would help a child that had developmental disabilities. So by all means, we would love to help in any way that we could. Yeah, and I think that answers, you know, who can be a part of COP and AFAN and that's Anybody, anybody. You know, anybody from the community, if you have a passion or, you know, you want to give back to the disability community and help in any way in your local community, get a part of this, be informed and help spread the information out there. Now, long term, what is kind of the vision of the community of practice and Alabama Family Advisory Network? Let me see here. Just one second. So I'll take that one to Joanne. What is the vision for COP? Oh, Joanne, you're, you're muted there. I apologize. Somehow I knew you was going to ask me that, Alex. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, our vision, you said, what is the vision? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Okay. Our vision is to help families uh, to learn more about the community resources. And we want to get make them knowledgeable in, in training and so we can connect one with the other. So we want more information to get out to support families. So that's what the vision is. Um, and I did write it down so it'll be clear. So but <laughs> that is the vision that I was you know, trying to make clear for families is that we uh, want them to know that we want to connect. We, our vision is to make it more family oriented resource easily resource knowledge concerning the community of practice. 
So a very we, well, go ahead. I was Jeff. just going to say we, we actually have a, a mission statement. Yeah, that, and I'm looking for it. That's okay. That's okay. I've got it here in front of us, so I'll I'll, I'll help out. Um, our uh, mission statement, actually, for the community of practice, is that we work to enable all persons with ID, DD, intellectual disabilities, developmental disabilities, and their families to reach their full potential as productive, caring, responsible citizens. So in essence, our vision statement is what anybody in the state of Alabama that wants to be a productive citizen's vision statement would be. We just want them to be able to have uh, all the rights and responsibilities as anyone else to be included uh, and to, to live a full and productive life. That's, that is what our vision statement is all about. Correct. And also, also to just have an opportunity to live, learn, work, and play in their own community. So, exactly. you know, it's, it's ideal that, you know, people have an opportunity to just, you know, be comfortable in their own community. You know, we're trying to get away from the, the, the residential or the, you know, the, the setting, the institutionalized setting. So giving people an opportunity to live at home, live with family members, just back in their own community, inclusive communities. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, really going for the thrive, not survive. You know, yes. get out there and start exactly. thriving instead of just surviving. Exactly. And so many times we've noticed in the past that, as Daryl alluded to, that um, individuals with intellectual deficits and um, developmental disabilities have been secluded in certain homes and certain areas. And really our goal is for people to be included within their community, the community that they want to be a part of and live where they want to live, the way they want to live and to have the um, same, they have the same rights that we do, right? Unfortunately, over the years, people have in, in their um, goal to protect them have taken away some of their rights. And so our goal is to ensure that individuals have the right to make the decisions that they wanna make and live in the place that they wanna live. One of the things um, with, the, with the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare, because our funding for waivers come from there, is the dignity of risk. And so many people are afraid of this, but we all have the right to make our choices, right? If we wanna go down the street to get a candy bar at the neighborhood store, we can do that. And persons with intellectual deficits, if they wanna walk down the street to the neighborhood store to get a candy bar, they, they have the right to do that. We just have to mitigate whatever risk may come up and help them to make decisions so that they can remain safe. But they have the right to make those same decisions. Yeah, and I kind of, uh, you know, we, we do a lot of talking about guardianship and I'd like to point out that <clears throat> the Spangler family, Colby and Kim Spangler are working on uh, something to pass in legislation called the Colby Act. Uh, the website's now up. We threw it up for them, uh, thecolbyact.com. And it's another option other than guardianship and conservatorship uh, using the supported decision-making model. Um, so I think we're seeing that transition, you know, as a country and as a state, we're going that way. So it's very exciting to see that progress and having the supports that the individuals and families need to make that happen there. Now, is there a cutoff, uh, an age cutoff for, um, you know, being able to receive the COP services? No, as we, yeah, as we mentioned before, it's from cradle to grave. So there is no age limit, no cutoff or anything like that. Uh, and I think kind of tying back to what we were just talking about and what you alluded to as well, Alex, the fact that, um, that we do want individuals to have all the rights and responsibilities that any other individual here in the state of Alabama has, but as a parent and as a parent of, of numerous children that have differing abilities, 
Um, you know, to be honest, sometimes it is a little bit scary to think about your child that you know has some deficits and they're going to be out in the world and mama's not going to be right there to hold their hand for everything. So that's something else that COP would want to do. When we talk about supporting families, we want to educate them as well. We want to we want to be able to show them we understand what some of your fears are, but here are some of our success stories. Here are individual things that we personally know about that have worked. Um, so we can offset some of those fears because if, if we don't educate the families, then that's really going to limit their loved ones. We've got to let them realize, okay, these kids and these adults, young adults, older adults, um, they have the capabilities. We maybe just have not been able to, to let them have um, the sorts of lives that, that they would like to have. So we have to release a little bit of control sometimes. Mm -hmm. And every uh, family and every individual is different. So it's a case by case. Um, and you really exactly. have to meet, meet the individual and see there. Cause there are some, we've had conversations with uh, Jennifer McInerney of uh, Carney Dye attorneys. And she was kind of putting this into perspective. She says, you know, when my daughter goes off to college, um, you know, she, if she were to get hurt and had to go to the ER, if there wasn't something saying like a medical directive that I'm her mom and I can come visit her and help her, you know, I may not be able to take care of, you know, paying for her rent at college, those types of things. So there, every situation is different. Um, right. But I think the more options, the better. Exactly. And I'd like to say that as John said, it is throughout the lifespan of that person from birth to the grave. So that's, that's, that's letting us know that you're not alone. You have supports. Um, and I'm ready to tell a story when you get there. I'll brush you. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to acknowledge chat here. So um, Karen Watkins-Smith says, Alfred Hooks, you and Rena may want to listen to this. Great resources out there to help you all. Sharon uh, Glenn Henderson says, I have a friend in Macon County. Say, how do you say that? Macon? M-A-C-O-N? Macon. Macon County. Who has CP? She has a daughter and is in need of help getting around her community. She's been stopped going to the store in a wheelchair, being in the road. Uh, I'm sorry to hear that, Mrs. Henderson. Um, that you know, this sounds like something you should definitely be a part of the COP if you're not already. And she says, "Yes, love loving this. Thank you." Um, let me go back here. And so we talked a little bit about the waivers. Um, but will a person have to be on a waiver to obtain these resources that we're talking about today? No, no, absolutely not. Uh, you can be on a waiver and, and ask for resources, but you do not have to be one. And that's one of the big things that there may have been a little bit of misunderstanding. We want to make sure that your audience today understands community of practice is not a provider. You're not going to call us and say, what service are you going to send to my home or, or uh, what part of the waiver are you? We're, we're not a provider. We're simply um, uh, an entity that will give you the resources, give you the information uh, and help you navigate where you might be able to find some of the resources that you need, whether it's in your community or whether it's through the waiver program. Uh, but we are, we are not a provider. So uh, you can certainly be on a waiver and ask for our, uh, our support. Um, or you can, you know, not be on a waiver and ask for our support either way. Mm. And is there a story you'd like to share there uh, about a fireman? Uh, yeah, there, when I was first going through this training years ago um, from the National, they, there was a story that was told that really hit home with me. It was an individual that had transitioned from high school and now he was at home. Uh, at that point in time, this individual was not employed. So he basically was spending his time at home after being in school. And that's, that's hard for these kids when they've been around their peers and have had things to do for eight plus hours a day. And then all of a sudden 
I'm at home doing nothing. So um, his parents were interested in trying to figure out ways to, to support him and find things that he do. Again, understanding that uh, even the best waiver in the world is not going to cover everything that you need. One of the things that this young man was very interested in was firemen. He was, he was infatuated with firemen. And so he uh, had a tendency to go down to his local fire department on a fairly regular basis, and, and he liked to talk to the firemen and so forth and so on. So when one of these occurrences happened, um, his parents and he, as they were talking to these firemen, they realized it's like, these guys are not just firemen, these guys are friends of our sons. And so the more they talked, they realized that they could work out a system to where he could go to the fire station a couple of hours a day, Monday through Friday, and just hang out with his friends. And so they kind of mapped out his day-to-day his -day life and they, they inserted that. And so for a couple of hours a day, Monday through Friday, he would go and hang out with his friends. Well, if you looked at that, that's 10 hours a week. Maybe to some people that doesn't seem like a lot, but trust me, as a parent who has children that you're trying to figure out how to get them out in the community, 10 hours a week is huge when they're not under mama's wing, but they're actually out there with their friends. Um, so we have stories like that. I have more that I'll tell in a little bit. I know that Joanne's chomping at the bit to tell hers, um, but, but there are ways to do this and that costs nothing. That was simply being out in the neighborhood, finding friends and incorporating them into the, that young man's life. Yeah, I love that story because it's driven by the individual. It's simply, you know, what do you want to do today? And if you continually hear, I want to go, you know, talk to the, the firemen and go down and check out the fire trucks. Well, we're going to try and incorporate that into your daily and weekly schedule uh, exactly. to make that possible. And just listening to the individual and following what they want to do there. And I always like that story, Alex. And that's what, a, well, that story could be the story for me. Because that person not only made friends, uh, he became knowledgeable on fire on fire equipment, was able probably to eat lunch with the guys, fill a part of, wear a hat. So now I'm included. I'm not sitting aside. Um, so I that's one of the stories I just couldn't wait to hear about. Um, yeah. yeah. So go and, ahead. And I like hanging out with friends. I got to go hang out with friends. I play a little bit of hockey on the weekend. It's natural. Mm -hmm. Everybody should have that, that close um, friend group, the support network. You know, there's difference between me talking with my family members and me goofing around at oh, some hockey with some, with some friends. Oh, yeah. oh, uh, yeah. You got to have that interaction as well. Yeah. And, and, and everyone wants their own personal friends. Uh, my son, he would go to the barbershop, the neighborhood barbershop. So after a while, they just said, could, you, could he stay with us at least an uh, extra hour? Well, he started hanging out with the guys an extra hour. Next thing I know, he's watching football there. He, now he has a sports group that he likes to hang around. And then now he wants to work there. So I'm like, okay, let's see if we can get you a job there. And the manager was able to let him work there. So now I have a job. I'm part of the community. I'm included with the guys. Talk about the girls mama don't know about. So just <laughs> teaching him how to be a man, what a man needs to be, because you can only learn so much, you know, going shopping with mom. But uh, I do love inclusion, uh, Alex. I do love people having their own life, love play included in that community. Uh, he would go to games with them. People would pick him up from the home. Now he has his own key. And he'll call me on his cell phone and say, I'm gone. I'm like, where are you at? I'm in Auburn. I'm like, with who? Get those numbers, you know. So it's teaching him to be independent, teaching him to, has taught him really to be independent. You're your own person. You don't have to stay up under me so I can tell you what color shoe to wear, 
what color hat to wear. He's learning that just by being included and being his own person. So it's very and important. It's exciting. I love how that all came out of again, uh, what your son wanted to do. I feel like sometimes it can feel um, as a family member or maybe as a parent, a little overwhelming. Like I have to help my son or daughter design this whole life after education system and put in all these you know, practices. But it really just starts with, you know, just sitting down. Hey, what do you want to do today? What do you, what do you really enjoy? Do? And you know a lot of this information already um, by being their parent or family member, but giving them the support uh, and confidence. I think confidence is a big thing there too, to go do that. And as you, you mentioned, um, Mrs. Breland, sometimes it can be a little difficult for a parent or a family member to kind of step back a little bit and allow that individual to step in that space. But it's so important uh, for their advocacy and for their confidence to be able to take kind of that leap. Um, and that'll stay with them for the rest of their life. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, now, like, go, ahead. go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to transition um, to the waivers. But if you have something to say, uh, please do. No, I know that we were going to discuss some of our personal stories, maybe towards the end. So I'll wait till then. We'll go ahead and talk about the waivers because I know a lot of people have questions about the waivers. Yeah, the waivers can be a little tricky. It seems like a little bit of jargon um, sometimes if you're new to it. So I'd just like to ask, what is an IDDD waiver? Okay, so um, with the Alabama Department of Mental Health, the ID or DD waivers, intellectual deficits or developmental disabilities. And these are funds that we receive from um, the Center for Medicaid and Medicare, as well as some state fund dollars, where we have a certain number of slots where we can provide funds to families who have individuals who have ID or DD um, to assist them in supporting their family individual with medical issues um, that they may need or require. And so you have to apply um, through the 1-800 number that Joanne shared earlier. You call that number and you share your information um, with them and we refer you to the support coordination agency that is closest to you so that they can gather this information to determine whether or not you meet the qualifications to receive a waiver. Um, some of the, the minimum qualifications is that the person must be diagnosed with ID or DD prior to the age of 18 and they have to have um, a psychological evaluation that shows what their intelligence quotient is, and it has to be less than 69. Um, and then they also have some adaptive functioning deficits. And so right now we have known as the ID waiver, we have a living at home waiver, where we support individuals who want to remain at home. And so we have supports for them. And we have a new waiver that we just rolled out, um, in November of last year called the Community Waiver Program. And this waiver's focus really is on community inclusion, remaining in the community, in your home with your family members or in your own apartment, getting supports and um, really supporting you that way. Because as we know, we said before, we're moving away from isolating individuals in group homes and um, other places so that they can be included within their community. And that's uh, being further, um helped along by the Home and Community-Based Services Settings Rule, okay. um, which is a, a nationwide uh, settings rule that's um, in process. And uh, I know a lot of the providers um, are working on getting in compliance with that and making sure that the individuals uh, have, the, have the opportunities that they deserve. Now, um, sometimes it can feel like, you know, waiver seems like a, a state or a government term. Where does that money come from? And I'm uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but so we, we all pay taxes to the state and federal government. 
And those tax monies come back to the, you, the individuals, uh, to help you. And we've decided as a society that this is definitely one thing that we want to provide support in. Um, so that tax money will go up to the federal government and to the state and then come back to the constituents of the state to support them how they need. Um, I would like to point out that the FMAP here in Alabama for um, uh, ADMH is, is pretty high. I think we're number five on the list um, for the states. So every dollar that we spend um, in disability here, we get a significant um, amount of match from the federal government. So if we're talking to our, our legislators, I think that's a very big thing because that money stays here in state. Um, so anyone that's thinking about going to your legislators, I'd say the F match through the roof and I could there. But um, so this isn't some type of like, you know, this money is just created. No, you, you paid into this. You deserve these services. These services are here for you. And so there's a lot of support trying to get you connected with these services and also for you to um, talk about how these services should be implemented back and forth. And a lot of what we're talking today about the community of practice and the Alabama Family Advisory Network is setting up these communication networks and these channels here um, to help you get a better understanding there. Is that okay to say? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And I think it's important that, that Alabamians understand that these are their funds that they've paid into the state, that, that the state is reinvesting in our communities. I would like to acknowledge chat again. Karen Watkins-Smith says, yes, Joanne, fostering independence is so good. I'm guilty of being a helicopter mom and don't have children with a noted disability. Um, thank you for that explanation of the IDDD waiver, Mrs. Allen. I worked at Medicaid for 15 years and had to refer folks to that area, um, but was never able to tell them what it was. And no one could ever articulate to me uh, the purpose of what it was. That was helpful. So thank you, Mrs. Uh, Watkins-Smith, for being with us here today and providing your input. Um, are there any uh, questionnaires that families have to fill out concerning resource information? No, there's no form. Uh, again, as we've, we've said throughout this broadcast, you can call the 1-800 number if you want to speak to someone like Joanne that can actually send you out that brochure. You can look on the um, Alabama Council of Developmental Disabilities website. You can look at the Department of Mental Health's website to find out when these meetings are going to occur. And uh, again, right now they're all on Zoom, so they're, they're easily available for anyone out there that has computer access. And uh, absolutely no forms have to be filled out. You simply log on, meet us, however you meet us, whether it's through this broadcast, uh, and uh, we will certainly tell you more about it and, and we will welcome you into the community of practice. With open arms. I've been yes. um, to a few of the uh, COP meetings and I can say it's very open. Um, a lot of information is shared, usually two, maybe three presenters. And then there's a lot of follow-up information, emails uh, giving you the presentations afterward, a lot of continued support there. So definitely find your local regional meeting, um, get involved, uh, sign up for the, you know, the Zoom links, what have you. And as soon as you make that first call, I think that's kind of the hardest part is, is getting that first call out of the way or getting your name on that list. But once you do that, you're supported through that. So I'd like to talk a little bit about success stories through the community of practice uh, and the Alabama Family Advisory Network. And I, it's my understanding that these organizations were started about six years ago. That's true. And so what are some success stories that you'd like to share with the community that have come out of this? 
Well, one of the first ones that comes to my mind, and I think all, all the individuals on the call today have heard me say this before, but it's one of my favorite ones. And I am the crier in the group, so hopefully we, we will get through it without crying. Um, but uh, the community of practice is also built within something called Charting the Life Course. And you can actually go to chartingthelifecourse.org if you'd like to hear a little bit more about that. There's certain tools that we use when we're training folks about that. We talk about a trajectory. We talk about a star. And I was doing some training uh, uh, actually at a workshop with individuals that had intellectual and developmental disabilities. And I was talking to two young gentlemen. They were both about 21, 22 years of age. Both of them were on the autism spectrum disorder, but their lifestyles were vastly different. One of the young men um, had a, a relatively well-off family had all the support she could imagine, were there to do anything and everything they possibly could for him. Uh, and then the other individual was being raised by the grandmother. So his resources were a lot more limited. And so I started off by talking to them about what they saw for themselves. What did they want their lives to even look like? Um, and uh, it, it's very interesting. And as a parent, I will also say, ask your individual that sometimes. You will be surprised by what they come up with sometimes. But as I was talking to these two gentlemen, uh, I, and I asked them, you know, what, what do you want? What do you want to do with your lives? What do you want to do on a day-to-day -day basis? Both of them almost immediately said, I want to have a girlfriend. I was like, okay, you want to have a girlfriend. Well, how would we go about having a girlfriend? And kind of when you look at that trajectory, you look at what you don't want versus what you do want. And so when I asked the guys um, what, what they would do if they had a girlfriend, how would you go about getting a girlfriend? And they said, well, I, I would need to meet somebody. I was like, great. And I said, and then what would you do? And they were like, well, I would be really nice to her and I would buy her presents and I would take her places. And I was like, could you please talk to my husband about this? So they were on the right track. <laughs> then we, we talked about things you wouldn't do if you had a girlfriend and, and we went along that so they could see what the differences were. But in the midst of talking to these, these two young gentlemen about what they saw for their lives, uh, it was pretty obvious, as I said, that one was out in the community quite a lot and the other one not so much. And as they started talking about what they wanted to do, one of the guys started talking about, well, you know, I like going to church and I like being on a bowling league and I like going to the movies. And you could tell the other little guy was kind of like, well, you know, I don't, I don't really get to do that very much. And without me intervening at all, this is where I get choked up, without me intervening at all, the one young man looked at the other and said, well, we could come pick you up when we go to church. We could come pick you up when we go bowling. I'm sure mom wouldn't mind doing that. And they started interacting and started figuring it out how they would enrich each other's lives. And I just stepped out at that point. It's like they were handling it. They were doing it. Um, and that's what community practice is. It's looking at the resources within the community that are just naturally there. And I think, again, as, as speaking from a parent's standpoint, we do get so wrapped up in the therapies and the doctor's appointments and understanding these waivers and how do I get the services I need and I need a new wheelchair and I need and I need that we forget that these people are just like everyone else. They just want to be part of their community. They just want to do what everybody else has an opportunity to do. And a lot of times, if you put them together and you give them ideas of how to, how to go about doing this and show them that there are supports out there, they will naturally start figuring it out for themselves. 
And then obviously as your family, you can surround them and maybe give them more options and try to figure out how, how do you go about getting that girlfriend? How do you go about taking her to the movies? That's when we can step in and help. But a lot of this is just so very natural, but we are so used to it having to be in a service form that we forget that our communities can do a lot of these things for us. That's such a powerful story there. Bringing those two families and two individuals together there and them just taking off together. And and I like that idea too, Jonna, you know, you you just, the communication, you just took off the network. And so really, you know, it's one way to measure success by getting, okay, this is a survey. Tell me what you've learned, but it's a whole nother thing to just allow them to take the conversation, to take the service and the networking and run with it. And that was a prime example of them just taking advantage. So Jonna had done everything she needed to do. Now they can take over. You know, yeah, exactly. so that, that's a measure of success. That's a lifetime friendship, yeah. right? There, exactly. I, I didn't have to go to a meeting and connect you. You connect yourself. So when you have a lifetime, that's that's part of that lifespan, you know, just making new friends, making my own friends. Mom, I may not like Bob, but I sure like Sam. So, you know, just making new friends and my own friends. And I would say for, um, you know, going into some of these meetings, the COP meetings, uh, I think it's very important to speak up. Um, you can't sit back and expect those connections to be made and not be vocal. So be your own advocate. Um, yeah. Say what you want out of life. Yeah. Um, say yeah. what you're needing. And that's yeah. the way that you're going to start to make these connections. And, it, and, 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 and Alex, I'm finding out it's not hard. Just don't put a cap on your own loved one. Don't say, uh, well, you don't need a tattoo. Well, that may be what I need in my life is a tattoo. Mom, you may not want a tattoo, but that tattoo may make me feel like one of the biker boys, you know? So I don't know. So we need to give people freedom to do what they want to do as long as it's not harmful. Now, what are some of the uh, topics that you guys are seeing come up in these um, Alabama Family Advisory Network and Community of Practice meetings? What are some hot topics that are being brought up uh, over the last few months and maybe you you think will continue in the next few? Well, um, that's a good question. Um, hot topics has been, you know, and we've kind of alluded to them earlier, harming com- community-based services has been a hot topic. And um, Department of Mental Health has worked really, really hard with Department of Medicaid and other agencies throughout our state to make sure that Alabama has a successful harming community-based services uh, for everyone. Um, some of the waivers that um, Francilla, Francilla has just mentioned, um, living at home waiver, community um, services, um, all of these different waivers has been a hot topic for us. And the goal really is to help people stay in their own community. So um, those have been some of the hot topics, which I think we have come a long ways. Employment has been another hot topic. You know, if we think about employment for um, everyone in Alabama, um, whether you're living with a, a disability or not, can be an issue. Um, and yes, we've come a long ways, but we got a long ways to go. Um, we just did a partners in policy making session this past weekend when we talked about customized employment, getting employers, different agencies to understand that, you know, just because a person may not be good at stocking shelves, you know, they may be good at answering the telephone or they may be good at, you know, um, bagging grocery or they may be good at cashiering. So whatever the case may be, we as a state has to, you know, 
look at those hot topics. You know, how can we be a success in employment area? How can we incre increase the success rate? Um, transportation is another area. And some of these areas are not just statewide hot topics, but they're nationwide hot topics. Um, you know, just transportation in general. You know, if, if, if a person is living with a disability or um, maybe not living with a disability and they get off work at a certain time, they have issues with transportation, they're not gonna be able to maintain that employment. So that's a hot topic. Um, affordable housing uh, for people who have uh, are living with disability, those are hot topics. Um, the ABLE Savings Plan, but those are hot topics. So we have several different hot topics. And I think we as um, a state has come a long ways, but we have a long ways to go. So, and, and, uh, and to find out information about these hot topics, I encourage people to join our meetings, um, join our state meetings, join our regional meetings, you know, and, and you we could definitely connect you um, or, or get some services or, you know, do the things that we need to do to enhance people's lives, whether it be to connect services um, in certain areas, you know, you know, let the people know what's available in certain areas. So those are some of the hot topics that we have continually um, been looking at since um, since I've been involved. Yeah. And and I, what? I was just going to say, I was just to kind of piggyback off what Daryl was just saying. I think a lot of times the topics also depend on what area of life a person or family member is in or the parents are in. I find that if you're talking to younger parents, uh, education is still a huge issue mm -hmm. for a lot of parents. And it varies so greatly from region to region. That's why these AFAN meetings are so important. Um, if you're talking about uh, individuals that are about to graduate from high school, then like Daryl said, you may be talking about employment or transportation. Um, also a big one for parents that I've, I personally have, have dealt with through the years too, is when my child goes from pediatric health care to adult health care, we call that transitioning. Um, that, that's a huge topic for a lot of people. So it kind of depends on what audience you're talking to at any point in time, but, but all of those are, are driven by the people that come to the AFAN meetings and have the questions and the concerns. And then we can adjust whatever we're talking about. Like I said, we might have a specific speaker for that month, which is great. And that's usually pulled from whatever came up from the previous meeting. But if you have questions and, and you don't feel like they're being asked, then that's the time to speak up and say, well, you haven't been talking about so-and-so, and then we can try to get you the answers that you need. And I love how you another, I was just share another hot topic, which is a hot topic for everybody, is technology, since we have been in this high-tech um, world lately, and over the past two years, just learning technology and then having access broadband internet, you know, Alabama has a lot of rural counties and we have a lot of individuals who live in those areas and just access to broadband internet. I love how um, you're all uh, kind of hitting on the head too, is that the COP and the AFAM are uh, very responsive to the individuals, the stakeholders and the family. So if this is what you guys are interested in, this is the questions that we're hearing. We're gonna line up, um, you know, these presenters for you. Uh, exactly. so, but that, that starts off with, you have to be vocal about what your questions you have or what you need. So as we kind of come to a wrap today, I always like to end the session with, is there anything that we haven't talked about that an individual or a family could benefit from hearing? I feel like we've gone over quite a lot. And again, the, the 
takeaway is that the community of practice, one, is not a provider, but we're there to support you and give you resources and help you find the answers uh, for your family or your loved one. That's what we're here for. Some are professionals, as you've met with Joanne and Francella. Some of us are volunteers and parents. Some of us are, are people that just love this, this disability community that have spent their lives like Daryl in that particular community trying to help individuals and families. Um, but that, that's what we're here for, is to try to support your family and your loved one. And, and one thing too, um, Alex, is not about a, and I've said this, time after time. It's not about a particular agency or a particular organization. It's not about an individual or individual family. It's about the people of Alabama. And once we understand that it's about, that's the big picture, then, you know, my needs, my home needs, you know, they will be taken care of because we're hitting the big picture. The big picture is to enhance the people of Alabama the lives of the people of Alabama. So I think we, um, as, a, as an agency organization, community practice, AFAN, I think we've done a wonderful job with connecting people, getting the resources out, letting them know where it is, things of that nature. But I think we do have a long ways to go. And um, we want to invite as many people as we can to our meetings so that way we can share the information. As I mentioned earlier, I've talked to people at hospitals this last couple of weeks. Um, daycares, um, nursing homes. So hopefully our next meeting, we'll have a, a lot of people because we want to make sure that they have an opportunity to hear, um, to share and, and be involved, be engaged, which is what we all about. And um, also, go ahead, Mrs. Allen. Okay, thank you. Also, I just, once again, we just must encourage as Daryl and Jonna and Joanne have said, individuals to become involved. We don't know what your concerns or your questions are until you bring them to the table. Mm -hmm. So we encourage you to, to join us in our meetings, join our Facebook group, um, call the 1-800 number so that you can get the information and then participate and bring to light what are the concerns that we all have. Because I'm sure someone else has the same concerns that you have and they just haven't asked, asked that question. So we, we encourage participation from our families. Um, I haven't asked for you guys as the guest today. After we're done here, would you send me uh, a link that you would like me to put in the chat that will help families and individuals register for these? We've kind of talked about it a little bit, but I want to make sure I have the correct address. And I do have the number, so I'll put that in there. But if you could just send me an email, say, hey, this is what we'd like you to put in chat. I'd appreciate it. All right. Well, I want to thank everybody for spending the morning with us here and, and keeping us informed about everything that you guys are doing. And uh, I hope uh, kind of the goal from today for me was to see for you guys to see an increase in COP uh, participants in the next coming months. So uh, you guys will have to let me know how that goes. And uh, once again, thank you for being here. Thank you. Thank you. And thank we'll also kind of give a wave to our cameras and we'll say, see you guys next time. See you next time. See you next time. See you thank next you time. time.